Well, here we are once again, getting close to midnight, but not yet. It's September 11th, and this is the 20-year anniversary of 9-11. And I'm talking to you, feeling a whole bunch of things, just like you probably are too. It's a very heavy day. And I find myself, of course, thinking a lot about where I was 20 years ago. Oh, by the way, this is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi. And this is a very special podcast, Raging and Eating, only tonight on September 11th, 2021, the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, I don't really feel like talking about recipes. I feel like talking about how that morning went and how my life went and all our lives changed 20 years ago. So this morning actually was a beautiful morning. It was crisp and glorious and sunny with a great breeze, not too hot and certainly not cold. And as beautiful as this morning was, it reminded me a lot of what the morning was like on September 11th, 20 years ago. It was a spectacular morning, perfect and crisp and glorious. The birds were singing, the sun was out, the breeze was glorious. It was the kind of morning that just makes you smile from the inside out. I got a phone call fairly early that morning from a client and she called because she wanted to talk about, I don't know, I think it was her son's bar mitzvah or something. Back then I used to have my business calls ring into my home, which is something that I changed very soon afterwards because I don't think it's healthy to have people calling your answering machine sitting next to your bed to talk about a bar mitzvah. It's not good, but I digress. And so she called a little too early to talk about her son's bar mitzvah. And then she said, oh my God, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. And I went, what? Really? And shortly after that, I just, I think, I, I think either I hung up or she hung up. I don't even remember, honestly. I got off the phone. And we have a pretty cool roof deck in my building. Kind of a ramshackle, funky old roof deck, but it's a roof deck. And I always wanted to have a roof deck, so the fact that it exists is good enough. Back then, it was a funky wooden deck with beaten up furniture on it. Years later, we improved things a little bit, but I ran up uh, on the deck and banged on the doors of my neighbors along the way. And we're an arty bunch of people in this building, so certainly back then, none of us appreciate getting woken up in the morning. We had one guy in the building who had a morning job. That was Ray the lawyer. He was probably already at his office hours, hours before we woke up. But I went up on the roof, and my neighbors followed shortly thereafter, and I saw the towers on fire. Now, the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers, always perfectly anchored my view. I had a 
really great view of the World Trade Center and a really great view of the Empire State Building. I preferred to look at the Empire State Building because I thought it was just the most beautiful building that ever existed. I never really thought the World Trade Center was a beautiful building, but you couldn't ignore how huge they were and they were really symbols of of the success of America, I guess you would say. I don't know, they were a bit intimidating for my nerves, but they anchored the skyline. I would look all the way east towards the water, and then I would turn and look west towards the World Trade Center. And this morning, towards the top of the towers, there was fire billowing out. And it just, I don't know, it was a little hard to compute, but We started having intelligent conversations, or so we thought, about how might they put the fire out, and reminiscing about our own experiences at the World Trade Center. I'd been to Windows on the World, and I hardly survived the elevator ride, though. What was that, 105 floors up, 110? I can't even remember. But it kind of shot up like the last 50 floors, and I felt that I left my stomach on the bottom. I mean... Then I spent the whole time I was there dreading having to go down in that elevator. But it was pretty spectacular. And I've always been happy that I did go. And so we started having this conversation about how might they put the fires out. And Mick, the photographer, he said, well, you know, I think it would have to be a really big hose. What kind of hose could shoot up like more than 100 flights? I don't even know. That's crazy. And Artie, who was a cartoonist, he was like, helicopters. And then Mick was like, helicopters with a really big hose. They were sort of going back and forth. Finally, it was just sort of decided that helicopters that somehow carried massive amounts of water would put the fires out. Because we talked about how something like that had put out fires that raged in the Southwest. So maybe this could work on the World Trade Center. And we were all a bit half asleep and hadn't had our proper coffee, but we just kind of settled into that. And then we just waited for someone to come and put the fires out. And while we were sitting there congratulating ourselves that we had figured out how to put the fires out, something impossible and crazy happened. One of the towers just imploded it just fell down into itself into a big cloud of smoke and what i saw looked like thousands of silver decks of cards in the air just all these little bits of silver and this giant mushroom cloud of smoke it i mean in a lot of ways i i've never gotten past that moment and then i heard a sound that I hope to never hear again. The sound of thousands and thousands of people screaming. People screaming from as far as you could see and as far as you could hear from the rooftops of buildings, from inside their apartments staring at their television, from people standing out on their fire escapes, from people on the street, everywhere. And I'm pretty sure I was one of them because afterwards my throat hurt, so... I got to assume I was screaming too. A lot of things happened after that first tower fell. 
lot of ways I didn't really feel any of them. I remember going down to get a pot of coffee to bring it back up to my neighbors because we were all feeling dizzy and disoriented. And just as I got to the top of the stairs, I saw an enormous cloud of smoke. And again, the second tower imploded, which it just, I have no words. And like I said, I kind of, I don't know, I didn't feel anything after the first tower fell. In a lot of ways, it was, wasn't getting in, it was hitting a wall of shock, I guess. Pandemonium started. People were freaking out. Some people were like, I'm going, I'm this, I'm that. Everyone had different ideas. Ray, the lawyer, who was actually on his way to the court building down there, pretty close to ground zero, came racing back in, cheery-eyed and red-faced and out of breath. He said, I tried to go to the court, and thousands of people came running towards me and said, run, run, run. And I saw this giant cloud of smoke running after them, and I just turned and ran and ran. I ran all the way home. I guess that from World Trade Center area and the court area to where I live is about a two-mile run, so he was quite out of breath and totally freaked out. None of our phones worked. I knew people would be worried about me, and I had no way to tell them I was okay. I had family living in California and places elsewhere that just sort of assumed that since I lived in downtown Manhattan, that meant I was near the World Trade Center. And I live about, I guess, about two miles away, I think. Anyway, oh, I went out into the street and I saw the crazy pandemonium started. People were stockpiling water and flashlights. They thought we were at war. Everyone was freaking out. People wanted to run away or hide in their home. And the giant billowy cloud of smoke and God knows what else crept into our neighborhood. And the beautiful, sunny, glorious morning was now covered in this haze of smoke. And soon the helicopter started, and soon after that the fighter jets. And I found myself perched on the roof. I just, I don't know, I guess I wanted to stand guard over the empty place in the sky where the towers had been and why I wanted to be some sort of a witness to the big billowy cloud of smoke. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but I just didn't want to leave the roof. And what I really wanted to do was I wanted to go down there. Everyone else seemed to be running away, and I just wanted to go there where the towers had been. I, I felt like they needed me. And so I kept looking for ways to get down there. I went down to the West Side Highway and joined a group of people standing on the meridian who were waving and saying thank you to the first responders. That kind of made me feel good in my soul. I had neighbors donating blood and people just doing whatever they could. Well, a couple days after the towers fell, my chance came because a wedding I was supposed to cater in South Street Seaport canceled. South Street Seaport had no water or electricity. And the location that the wedding was supposed to be at, there were 50 firefighters sleeping on the dance floor. 
So I went down to South Street Seaport that very day to Siemens Church. And the security guards who recognized me from the many weddings I'd catered there screamed, We got a chef! We got a chef! Send her to St. Paul's, someone else yelled. I didn't know what St. Paul's really was. I mean, I'm Jewish, you know, I don't really know a lot about saints, but they gave me a yellow hard hat and a paper mask, not so different than the paper masks that we're wearing now because of COVID. And they put me on the back of a pickup truck and the truck headed to St. Paul's, whatever that was. And we went through all sorts of debris and ruined and smashed cars and burnt structures and broken glass and police barricades and oh it just felt like we were going into a war and then we pulled up in front of a church St. Paul's Church and I saw two women who looked kind of like housewives and they had these little like backyard barbecues like what you might get in Kmart for 20 or 30 bucks and they were trying to flip burgers two or three burgers at a time and there was this long line of firefighters and cops. I'm, I don't know, hundreds of people online waiting for the burgers. And so in that moment, I just sort of shook off all of the shock and horror and everything. And I, all I could feel was, I guess, that I'm a caterer and this really wasn't working out too well. So I started screaming, throw more coals on, you need more lighter fluid. Well, the women who were pretty exhausted and wrecked were thrilled to step aside and let me, little Miss Big Mouth, take over. And I sort of regretted them stepping aside after I had to take over and run back and forth between the two crappy little grills. But I sent through on more and more burgers and we did the best we could. And we had these folding tables right in front of St. Paul's Church and someone had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and Someone else had cookies and power bars, and there was piles and piles of socks and visine and T-shirts and all kinds of michigas. And they said that we fed that day a thousand first responders, which is possible, I guess. And I stayed well into the night, and when I felt that I really just couldn't move anymore couldn't even really lift my arms anymore and all the coals had burnt out and it seemed all the firefighters had had their fill of hamburgers and were now just kind of concentrating on coffee I decided maybe uh, I could go home and take a shower I had all sorts of black stuff in my nose and the paper mask had been useless it was a wild experience because I felt like I was in a snowstorm so much dust in the air that it was like a blanket of dust and it muffled the noise and literally felt like I was in a snowstorm. It was haunting and horrible and horrifying and terrible and also kind of beautiful because all of these selfless, loving people were around me, such brave, kind people. And so I went home and I showered and I came back the next day and I called up my catering people, my waiters, and my maitre d', and a bunch of them jumped in. My maitre d', Joanna, 
performed Reiki on the feet of the firefighter at Siemens Church. All the firefighters lined up and they were all having terrible problems with their feet from standing on the pile and dealing with the smoldering wreck. And she worked on their feet. And Martina also gave them massages. And Brian went down to St. Paul's with me and organized the socks and the visine and the t-shirts and the water. We all felt just so happy to be there, just to be doing something, anything, to take away from the horror of what happened. I remember taking a wheelbarrow full of Gatorade and ice all the way to the pile. The pile was the debris that was left of the tower. I guess we were like 50 feet from the burning wreck of the pile. I could feel the heat on my face. We gave the cold Gatorade to the firefighters who were in a tent right outside the pile. And they thanked us profusely. One of them said he hadn't had anything cold to drink all day. The breath broke my heart. And we said, no, no, thank you. Thank you. One of the firefighters had gotten in a car and driven in from Cincinnati. The second the towers fell, he just got in a car and drove. He knew he had to be there with his brothers. didn't matter if he was from Cincinnati and they were New Yorkers. They were all brothers. It warmed my heart and it broke my heart at the same time. And a couple of days later, one morning, as we walked around Ground Zero, I guess we were delivering, I don't remember what we were delivering, sandwiches or treats or something or another, Brian and I talked about how it was such a strange place to spend Rosh Hashanah. Both of us were high holiday Jews. That means we basically don't get to the synagogue the rest of the year, but we drag our butt to the synagogue on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And so I had a sort of a little pain in the morning that I maybe should have gone to the synagogue, but then I just shook it off because I knew I was going to the holiest, most important place in the universe, the holiest, most important place I'd ever been. And that was Ground Zero on September of 2001. This particular day was September 18th, a few days after the towers fell. And as we were talking about it, an army chaplain piled a bunch of bread crates in front of us and took out a prayer book and started to recite the Rosh Hashanah prayers in a group of volunteers and some women from the Red Cross and some soldiers, all the Jews around and all the people who just love the moment gathered around and the rabbi said the prayers and then he blew the shofar. And I've always thought that the sound of the ram's horn was ancient and beautiful and could bring you back to a time of thousands of years ago so easily. But the sound of that ram's horn permeating the thick dust and the rune and the wreckage just felt like God was there in that moment. And even though the dust and the cranes and all of that crap, you know, sometimes made it hard to hear the ram's horn pierced it all. It seemed to make everyone stop in their tracks. It just seemed, I, 
guess it just seemed holy and beautiful and heartbreaking and everything all at once. And we all hugged each other as if we were brothers and sisters. And the Shana Tova, Happy New Year. And in that moment, we were brothers and sisters. And in a lot of ways, everyone down there that I met and everyone down there that I didn't meet, I'll always feel like I'm somehow related to them. People that touched God, people that touched this holy site, people that were there in those dark days of September. And so eventually, I guess after enough days, I did make my way back home and I found I found other ways to volunteer. I volunteered at a warehouse that outfitted the firefighters and I volunteered at the piers helping write checks to all the people who desperately needed the money. But nothing, nothing compared to spending those days at Ground Zero in September. In a lot of ways, my heart is still there. I just walked by St. Paul's Church last night to look up and see the eerie blue lights shooting in the, in the sky where the towers had been. They're so beautiful. And seeing them over St. Paul's Church, I blinked in an instant. I remembered what St. Paul's looked like, covered in paper and dust and faxes. Office work from the towers. Someone, people had just gone into office and their papers had somehow survived even though the building hadn't, even though they hadn't. And St. Paul's Church was covered in those papers. I spent so much time in St. Paul's Church. One day I, I reached through the fence of the cemetery covered in papers and picked up a charred piece of paper, someone's memo, over something, I don't know what it was. And I think that person is gone now. I thought to fold it up and put it in my pocket and then I let it go again. That was something sacred about it, and so I didn't. I felt honored to be there. And today, in some way, I feel it was 20 years ago, but mostly I feel like it was yesterday. I can still smell the smell, the acrid, kind of sweet, weird construction smell that was in my neighborhood. I can still feel the dust on my face and my body like I was walking through a snowstorm. I can still hear the screams of all the people when the towers fell. But mostly, I dwell on the kindness, the kind, loving, sad eyes of the first responders who were there looking for the innocent, hoping first to find them alive and then to just find their bodies to bring them home for their friends and their family. I think of all the people who found their way there, two young actors who were between jobs and they just found a void. And the void was that we were cooking the hot dogs and the firefighters on the line would get the hot dogs. But there were a lot of firefighters and construction workers and volunteers who were on the bucket brigade, handing buckets of debris back and forth. Uh, 
collecting it from the tower and passing it back. It couldn't just be dumped. It had to be sift through in case there was a remnant of a person in the buckets. And sometimes there was. And it was a horrible, endless, painful job. And these firefighters had burnt, ruined hands and eyes. I mean, just, just terrible. And so these two young actors figured out the void was getting the hot dogs to the people there. So they'd asked me to wrap them up in aluminum foil and they'd run to the pile and throw the hot dogs at the firefighters who always caught them. And that became their job. They were the hot dog tossers of Ground Zero. And there was the Pakistani man who had a newspaper kiosk that was squashed when the towers fell. And instead of going home to his family, he said, well, my business is squashed. Why should I go home? And he stayed there for a month. He slept in the back of St. Paul's Church. He was there every day, just helping, handing out sandwiches and eyewash. Long after I left, he stayed. I saw him, I guess, about a month after, and he was still there. It was his last day. So he wound up being there a little over a month, just unbelievable. There was a podiatrist who found its way down there, and he started working on the feet of all the cops and volunteers and firefighters, many of whom had really injured themselves in the debris and the fires. Their feet were blistered and ruined, and so that's what he did. He sat in the back of the church and worked on their feet, and masseuses found their way down there. Everyone found their way down there. It just was a beautiful thing to see. I think about the small orchestra who formed one day when we were feeding the first responders. We heard beautiful music and we looked and there in the dust was a group of musicians, trumpet, saxophone, trombone. I can't remember all of them. I think there were six of them. And they just decided to show up and play music to try to add some beauty to the moment to try to give some love to everyone who was down there. And I think of all the people who went every day for months and months and months to stand in the meridian on the West Side Highway with flowers and signs just to thank the first responders and the cops and the firefighters and the construction trucks as they drove to Ground Zero. They were cheerleaders. And I have to say coming back from being, I guess, I don't know, a feeder of first responders. I can't call myself a first responder. I don't know why. But seeing all those people thanking me, it's just wonderful. So kind and loving and selfless. So no, I don't dwell on the horror of what happened 20 years ago. Much as I do remember it. But I dwell on the heroes. I dwell on the kindness. I dwell on the love. I dwell on that orchestra and their beautiful music and the actors tossing the hot dogs and the Pakistani man who spent a month sleeping in the back of a church. I dwell on the security guards, Dom and Billy from Siemens Church, who started the entire operation because they saw a void. And then it took off. And they never took a bow. They never took credit for it. 
they were the biggest heroes as far as I'm concerned. So for all the heroes and all the people who loved and gave from their heart and their soul on September 11th and all those many months after, thank you. My heart and soul is with you. I'm grateful for you and I honor and remember you on this day 20 years later. This is Rossi for Raging and Eating. I wish you peace, love, serenity, and joy. Never ever forget.